Welcome to episode 66 of the Victors of Michigan Sports Podcast. We are affiliated with Between the Whistles Detroit, a JC Sports Network exclusive. I'm your host, Chad Mazegan, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jordan Dean. Jordan, it's been a couple weeks, but the week is finally here. We are playing in the Rose Bowl in five days, and we're taking on Alabama for a chance to get to the national championship. What's your excitement level? Dude, I hate this month, bro. This month off thing is so, It's the anticipation is just like, ah, I needed to be here. So I'm so excited for it to finally be here at the, you know, watching all these bowl games and whatnot, just knowing that it gets us one day, one day closer to our opportunity, man. I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely excited, obviously nervous at the same time, but it's, it, it's, it's finally here. Yeah, and for two years running, it hasn't been a, a kind month off for the Wolverines. So hopefully this year's a little bit different on that aspect. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a big game, obviously. Alabama's 12-1, and the four seed in the playoffs. Obviously, Michigan being number one. Uh, their biggest win this year came in the SEC Championship when they beat Georgia 27-24, um, obviously knocking Georgia out of the playoffs uh, from number one, shockingly. And then uh, their long loss came back in week two against Texas in a 34-24 loss at home. Obviously, Texas is the three seed this year in the college football playoff. But... Uh, you know, this is this is going to be an interesting one because, I mean, Alabama, it's really been a roller coaster of a season for them in the sense of, you know, they lose that game in week two to Texas. They kind of look a mess. Week one was a little sloppy. They come back in week three, nearly lose to South Florida. Jalen Milrow was benched in that game for, you know, what they report as an attitude problem with the coaching staff. And, you know, I mean, I remember talking about it with you and some of our other, you know, friends. It's like, dude, Nick Saban looks defeated on the sideline. This has to be his last year. And then, you know, they get through a couple more weeks with, with some wins. And then, man, they really caught fire. And now, you know, I was saying that at the end of the regular season, I'm like, this Alabama team, like, they're, they're damn well playing like the best team in college football right now, despite having that early loss to Texas. I'm, it, it, It's impressive the turnaround they've had this year. No, I I completely agree. They they definitely early on did not uh, give the 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 old Bama away as far as what they look like, you know, in years past. So the fact is, this coaching staff and Saban have done a great job of really getting these. Yet dudes again, on the right we doubt Saban, and you know, we pay for it in a sense, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Look at, look at this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would not. Nick Saban's one of the best to ever do it. Arguably the greatest college football coach of all time. So I. You know, you can't really count him out until that dude just says he's done coaching. So um, every year there, every year this bandwidth change is going to be relevant, and here we are once again showcasing that. Yeah, and, and we'll get into it in a little more depth here shortly, but one of the nice things about Michigan being the one seed this year is they got the pick where they played this playoff game. And obviously, you know, you can either play at the Rose Bowl out west or you can play, is it the Sugar Bowl or what's the what's the I one? Think, I- I thought it was the peach, but you might be right. It is the peach bowl. You're right. And which obviously happens in Georgia, but you know, in years past, or, you know, if we weren't able to pick that, that would have been advantage BAM in the sense that if we end up playing in the peach bowl, you know, that's, that's essentially a, a, you know, a home game for Alabama or any Southern team. That was what we faced when we played Georgia uh, in year one. And then even, even last year against TCU, I mean, TCU definitely had, uh, uh, a little more of a home presence. Obviously, we were the two C, and you know we didn't get the pick where we played. So uh, it's nice to be able to pick that. I mean, I know in a sense, you know, I think when I saw the breakdown of ticket sales, I think they expect Michigan to have the slighted edge of like fifty three percent of ticket sales, uh, opposed to you know Alabama around forty seven percent. But you know, it's still it's still a big deal. You know, Alabama has to travel, you know, a ways too, and. Uh, you know, they're both away from home, but traditionally, you know, Big Ten, they play in the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, especially in the old BCS system it was always a Big Ten representative in that game. Um, so it's not 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 so out of place uh, for this Michigan team. Oh, no doubt. No, doubt. I think it was I was there. I would have done the same thing if I were them. So uh, I think it's a good balance to kind of weather. You know, I think both teams are going to you know benefit from it being probably 60s or on 70s for the game. And uh, you know, it's the the time zone difference is going to be interesting. I mean, obviously they're there now and adjust the early that, game, but, which is interesting it's, too. It's the early yeah. game, yeah. So, is that a grass field so, yeah. still in Pasadena? I want to say yes, I uh, or like a grassy turf, but uh, it, it might be. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's still grass, but I'll have to check on that. Um, another interesting note is this Michigan team could be the very first team in program history to earn 14 wins in a single season, and obviously. Uh, they could set a record on top of that if they 
get their, you know, meet their national championship goals of being victorious in the next game. Obviously, got to worry about the first game uh, here, but, you know, regardless, Michigan has a chance to make some history uh, if they can get a victory over Alabama in this Rose Bowl playoff game. Which is, uh, you know, super impressive for some of the teams in the past, uh, you know, you know, teams that have gone through this program, been successful and things like that. So, obviously. Yeah, we were talking, yeah. Oh, we were talking at we were talking at the beginning of the year that like the, to do with the to get to be undefeated again would be incredible and just like almost felt like it was unrealistic just for the continual success. But kudos to Harbaugh and the staff for really really get, you know continuing to build off the success they've had in the previous seasons and these kids for keeping the vision and you know for really promising what they said they were going to do as far as Blake Corm said we're going to be back and JJ saying the same thing. So they. Very, very impressive. Hopefully it continues. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, before we move on to the actual preview of the game, uh, you know, we haven't haven't had an episode since the, you know, playoffs were finalized, um, you know, with Michigan not having a game and stuff, um, you know, after they defeat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, obviously Michigan number one, Washington two, you know, Texas three, Alabama four. Um, were you... I want to get your opinion, obviously. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested. What was your thoughts on Florida State being left out? Because we both talked well, about that possibility yeah. when we talked about, you know, when we predicted our playoff, you know, chances that, you know, a lot of us saw it coming. And I think, I think we both, you know, when we, I can't remember for sure, but I, I know we both talked about Texas and Alabama kind of being those last two teams in if Florida State was knocked out. As soon as we saw Texas on the board, we knew Bama was coming. Uh, you know, it, it only would have only would have happened if Florida State was one of those teams to see which one would have been left out. But based on the current criteria, I mean, whether you want to disagree with criteria or not, it's a different discussion. Uh, I mean, they made the right choice as far as how that goes with you know Jordan Travis being hurt and uh, not being 100% at, uh, at full strength going into the playoff. Uh, you know, I, so I, I hate it. I think it's it's bad for college football. I think it's, it, it teaches the wrong things for kids. You know, you put your best foot forward and you went out, you do what's necessary to become a conference champion. And these these people that have nothing to do with the game really uh, very much throughout the year just determine your success at the end of the day. Um, it's definitely disappointing and uh, bad, bad for college football. But based on the criteria, like I said, I, I understand why they did it. That if Florida State would have played in one of these games, I think they get smoked. It's just the reality of the situation. That defense is the real freaking deal. They're they're definitely a championship level defense. Um, but if you if you they'd be on their uh, second string quarterback, uh, who's showed some uh, at this point, he's actually in the portal now. Uh, so they're on their third string for this bowl game that they're going to be playing in. But uh, it, I don't think it would have been a great game. Almost like a uh, what was it two three years ago now? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati, Alabama. I mean, we knew that game was going to be a freaking joke. So I feel like it would have been kind of the same story in that situation here. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where you have to like look at it and say, um, you know, this is the pros and cons of a committee, right? If you have a system in place, kind of like the NFL playoffs or any pro sports, it's determined by tiebreakers, statistic, you know, record, you know, divisional record, things like that. Right. I know that's not as easily done in college because the playoffs is only four teams. You have five power conferences. How do you determine tiebreakers with teams that don't play in the same conference? I get that. Um, you know, with a 12-team playoff, maybe they can move to that down the road, uh, especially with some of these mega conferences now coming about. But, you know, we've seen years in the NFL where, okay, you know, there's this 10-6 and six team that got left out, but there's a eight, you know, 7-8 and eight or, you know, seven and nine, I guess now, now it'd be like eight and nine in today's NFL with the extra game. Uh, but a team with a losing record gets in as a division champ. Like, so, okay, the best teams didn't get in, but, you know, at least we know every year how a playoff team is going to get in. Like, there's no questions to how they got in. This is the, you know, formula. This is how tiebreakers work, whatnot. You know, you know, sorry, but not, not sorry. That's just how it works. In college football, you're trying to get the four best teams in but you leave it the human error. And when you only give yourself four teams to put in, uh, you know, you come up, there's situations where this, where there's honestly probably more than four deserving college playoff teams with, you know, the resumes they had. And unfortunately Florida state, you know, got bugged because of an injury, you know, at least Georgia lost a game. Um, and you know, they're the, 
you know, Alabama, despite having a loss, got in over them because they beat them. And also, you know, they were only, uh, Alabama's only loss was to Texas, who was also in the playoffs. So, like, it's just the, you know, the pros and cons, right? There's, there's going to be pros and cons to every system, but unfortunately, you know, when you leave it to a, a committee, a, a room of people to decide on who the best teams are, uh, it, it comes down to not all, not always who's the most deserving, uh, rather than you know who they think the best and most competitive teams are. And you know, some years they've gotten it more right than other years. So it's just you know, it's kind of the system we're working with. And like I said, maybe you know, moving to a twelve-team playoff, it obviously gives more room for error in a sense because you know who your top teams are, and you know you don't have to have a debate about who your fourth, fifth, and sixth best teams are. Now you're debating, you know, okay, who's nine through 15 and who's the, you know, ones that deserve to get in at nine through 12 rather than, you know, 13, 14, 15, obviously. But, uh, you know, maybe, like I said, with the way the college football is kind of restructuring itself and things like that, uh, you can work towards a more um, black and white system of how you determine, you know, who gets in the playoffs and who doesn't. Yeah, it'll be interesting how it's handled in the future, you know, and I, I do think, I think we talked about this before, but I think this year would have been a prime example of the 12-team playoff playing out very, very well. I agree. Um, which, uh, but I, that being said, like, I think this might be not, like, the, the, the norm per se, so I don't know how next year will look with all the turnover in college football, which is, you know, is the great thing about college football. Teams are never the same year over year, so... Um, and I'm, I think it's good for the game as far as the expansion. Um, but uh, I, I, at the end of the day, this whole committee thing is definitely not my favorite way of going about it because, you know, you talk about the eye tests and whatnot. It's just like, okay, and it's very subjective. And, Correct. yes, they have their their four criterias of what they look at. Um, they don't can, always you know, follow their own rules. That's the frustrating exactly. part. Right? I, I was about to say, it's almost like they, they, they contradict themselves all the right. time. And Because uh, to me, like, how do you um, – 29 games in a row. How do you not put Georgia in the playoff based on just one loss? You know, like I know they're not a champion, but you're telling me they're not one of the top four teams in the country just after one loss and exactly. had a great game with Bama. So like, I, and you, but you put a one loss Bama team and it's, and a one loss Texas team in like, I, it's just like, come on guys. Like I, I don't, I don't understand it. So it is what it is. And now, now we get to watch a, a, a you know, a meaningless bowl game for Florida State that's going to be on the third string quarterback, and then people opting out, and you know, it's just it's just unfortunate, man. I wish uh, Florida State at least gotten their shot, and you know, see what you you, you play the game. You never you, if you because the thing is, like these are still Division One athletes. I if you decide to take the game, you know, lightly as as let's say you know if it was you know uh, them playing as, as the four seed, like if Michigan wouldn't show up to play Florida State. Florida State could beat us. Oh, like no it's, 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 it's not a situation where like it'd be it's a guaranteed w uh but it's just not if we're being honest with ourselves and this would be my last point it's a money decision that's really what it was oh the, for the, sure. the, this is a how who's who would turn in to really watch a third string quarterback at florida state play they want as many eyes on the game as possible so they get their freaking revenue from all the commercials and all that stuff like that. So well, it, and they weren't going to leave a SEC team out either, which was obviously exactly. a possibility of course. as well. And, so. and, and, you know, and Deion Sanders hit it on the head. You know, he says the, the quicker people realize that the NCAA is a business, the more the less hurt they'll become. So he's right. At the end of the day, the NCAA is at this point, it's almost it's the minor leagues for the NFL. You know, they're becoming more and more of a business, and they're going to do everything they can to get the best best product on the field. Yeah, and I hope they start to treat it that way in a sense of, you know, we need to have periods. I know we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent here before we preview the game, but like, you know, we, we talk about how this is all like above all else we're supposed to have, like, this is an opportunity for the kids fairness. Like that's why we brought NIL in. Cause you know, everyone, uh, most people agree that, okay, yes, these kids do deserve some share of the money and things like that. Obviously that's gotten a lot of control with no regulations for the most part, but like, even with this transfer portal stuff, right? Like how many coaches have we had jump ship, uh, you know, right after the season before bowl games are played? How many, uh, obviously players are opting out to the transfer portal before they, uh, complete their season with bowl games and things like that. And it's like, you know, one hand, okay. Yeah. They're not playing the bowl games. These bowl games are starting to be like, okay, why are we even watching? I don't know who any of these players are. Half of these guys won't even be here in a year sort of thing. Once we get, our transfer portal guys here, half these kids aren't going to even see the field, but the same token, then you have these four playoff teams with, 
you know, you have a couple of very minor few that have entered the transfer portal. But for the most part, these kids want to have a chance at a national championship and things like that. They're not going to leave the team if if they're even semi, you know, uh, not productive, but like contribute and things like that. And, you know, you put these these players that want to transfer after the season in a hole from these four playoff teams because they have to wait till, you know, at least, you know, the second week of January to enter or, at the, you know, at the latest, the second week of January to enter because, you know, the two teams that go to the national championship, they're again, they're not bailing on that team uh, prior to that game being played. So now they're entering the transfer portal where so many spots have fi- been filled already on other teams. Uh, there's obviously a ton of players in the portal. Some of these players obviously won't get picked up to another team. So like they're, they're done. It's just like, there needs to be a regulation period. You know, coaches shouldn't be able to leave till bowl games are played and like the season's completed. Cause I don't feel like a season's over till that, you know, if you're bowl eligible, you play the bowl game. Right. And I think it's she like, you know, my biggest example is when, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame when Notre Dame still had an outside chance to make the playoffs and he didn't wait around to see if Notre Dame was going to make the playoffs. Like to me, what are we even doing then? You have a shot to be one of the final four to play for a national championship. Again, it wasn't a guarantee, but if things had played out right, you're telling me Notre Dame was going to the national championship without a head coach, you know, basically like to me, there's something wrong with that look. And if you can regulate it, like the NFL has their, free agency period there, you know, in, you know, uh, co- coach hiring period, they have their, uh, draft, you know, can, co- you know, it's not, it's, it's not hard to say, okay, we're moving signing day back to March because it really doesn't need to be when it's at now in you know late fall or early December, whatever. Um, that way we have two now, we have two signing periods. Yeah, now. basically. Not- but like you yeah. move signing day back, coaches don't have to use these, uh, you know, we don't have to use the excuse. Oh, coaches got to get to their new destination as soon as possible. So they don't lose an edge in recruiting. Like, okay, coaches can't get hired until the third week of January. You can't start the hiring process till the third week of January. Uh, you know, transfer portal month begins in February, you know, whatever. And, you know, no one's eligible to enter the transfer portal till then, um, you know, at well after the season has concluded um, and, you know, signing days in March or whatever, you know, however you want to play it out, but you get my point. Like, Let's not yep. let these things happen in the final weeks of the season or, you know, in between the final, you know, regular season game and, you know, the bowl games. Because as much as we've talked about how these bowl games, some, half of them are meaningless anyway, it's still like finish what you started. Right. And, you know, if I don't know, I, you can't get mad at kids for leaving early if you were letting coaches leave early. But like, I feel like we can just make this such a better system overall. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, my heart breaks for guys like uh, Malik Murphy, the backup quarterback for Texas. He was forced to leave based to have an opportunity if he wanted to, you know, he knew with Ewers coming back and Arch Manning, he wasn't necessarily going to play, but he had to leave his team that's competing for a national championship to have an opportunity to, you know, get, get into a the starting job elsewhere. Being stripped. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was forced to do that. So he had to quit on his team because of the current format. I know, he, and he said he didn't want to do that, but he felt like he had to. Um, so like it, it, it's it's a, it's a bad system and like I I I was listening to somebody talk and they were you know and so I can't take full credit for it but like could you imagine if the NFL said okay right before right before the playoffs we're going to take a month off and during that month off we're going to have the NFL draft and free agency we'd all laugh and say that's the stupidest thing ever right. or even coach hiring no what if or even coach the, hiring yeah, Lions exactly. have a week off or, you know for example Detroit Lions because a lot of our listeners are aware of you know, what the Lions are doing, things like that. You know, we have three weeks between the uh, end of the regular season and the playoffs. Oh, man, Ben Johnson just got hired by the Los Angeles Chargers. We don't have an offensive coordinator, uh, you know, a week from our first playoff game. Like, what? Like, it makes no sense. But yet, this is what's happening in college football every year. Every year, exactly. So it's it's, it's a really bad system, and I, I don't know what's going to happen to change, but there's just no way for the long-term success of college football that – this can stay in place. I, I was talking to uh, actually my brother, uh, shout out to my brother, Josh, uh, but uh, we were, you know, going back and forth about the, you know, NIL stuff and how the portal is. And it's almost like if we're going to, if we're going to call the NCAA what it is a business and let's, let's just embrace it. So these NIL, let's make contracts. Let's not, let's make these contracts something. Let's say if a kid wants to come to Michigan or a kid wants to go to USC or whatever, all right, they sign a three-year contract for NIL money up front. 
Yeah. And if they leave like, earlier, like, opt out, they have to pay X amount back or something like that. Exactly. Let's make it a business. Let's make it a, you know, a full on embrace instead of just allowing these kids to, oh, how much are you going to give me here to come here? Okay. Then, you know, I'm not getting my playing time. I'll go somewhere else. Like there's no, the, the word that comes to mind is there's no accountability uh, for right. any of this stuff right now. So I think something's got to change. And, you know, I'll be I, honest uh, with you. I don't think you're far off with that. Uh, you know, in the yeah, coming years, I, 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 I think, think that's so. a very real possibility. Yeah, I, I think, I think so as well, especially with, uh, that, uh, one, uh, tweet from the NCAA, uh, president basically saying he, he, he wants to pursue, uh, basically the NIL coming out of a trust fund, uh, the, the, all the money comes right. out for each, each school having a trust fund. So basically you can translate trust fund as apparel. Right. So if if that's the case, now you can really... <laughs> color Exa- color exactly, Ex- exactly. So that way you can allocate funds to that and say now you can actually make it a contract. So you come yeah. here, all right? Here's your here's your even for your contract or whatever whatever it may be. You get to determine that, and kids can become adults and decide what's their best fit for that. And it sucks that education and some of these other things probably get not as important anymore. It's going to be more about dollars. But I guess that's kind of where we're at, you know. And it, it is what it is. Yep, absolutely. But without further ado, we've ranted enough. I think we should definitely get into the preview of the Rose Bowl. Alabama, Michigan. On to Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a big game, and we'll start with the Alabama offenses. They are going to present a pretty unique challenge for Michigan for what they've seen to this you know this point this season. So Alabama, it's an offense that you know is really well rounded. They can attack from everywhere. They are balanced. They will run the ball. They can pass. They'll do this at a fairly equal rate. You know they'll obviously maybe run or you know go with what's what's working, but they will mix in both. Obviously, uh, they can run it downhill outside. They'll you know work the option game with Milrow. Um, you know, being as mobile as he is, um, you know, and early on, you know, we talked about it didn't look like a good, you know, a great unit or a great Alabama team in general. And that offensive line specifically looked pretty weak to start the year, but it's a it's an offensive line that has come a long way now. And it has looked like a much better unit in the second half of the season. Um, and, and you see it in their statistics. I mean, Alabama. Alabama is averaging five, uh, 425 yards of total offense per game. Uh, they're averaging 228 and a half yards through the air, 172.7 rushing yards on the ground. Um, both of those are higher marks than the Michigan offense, just for reference. Um, they're averaging 35 points per game and convert at a uh, third downs at a 46.7% per, clip, and that's actually the exact same as Michigan in third down rates, and then Michigan averages about a point more offensively. I think it's 36.1 points. Um, but, you know, part of their success on third downs is like Michigan, they often are set up, uh, they set themselves up for a very manageable situation. It's a lot of third and fives or less, you know, third and short situations where they can run or pass. It's not necessarily like, oh man, it's third and, you know, nine, we're going to have to drop back and throw a pass here. So um, it's, again, it's a, it's a, a, it's a balanced attack. It's a team that can attack you in a lot of different ways. And, that starts with quarterback Jalen Milrow. You know, he finished fourth in the Heisman Heisman race, uh, and he's just a flat-out stud on offense. After being benched, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, back in week three, I believe it was, due to an attitude issue, uh, they got that thing corrected, and he has uh, come back, you know, on fire. He's accumulated over 3,000 all-purpose yards this year and 35 touchdowns. Passed for 2,718 yards and 23 touchdowns at a 65.5% clip. Um, he's only thrown six interceptions, also fumbled the ball twice. I think he's only lost one, though, so only seven turnovers uh, total on the year. Um, he's also rushed for 468 yards and 12 touchdowns, so a true true dual-threat X-factor X kind of player. And uh, kind of like I said earlier, I think this is going to be the best, you know, all-around quarterback Michigan has played this year. And, you know, like you said, for sure the best athlete at quarterback, but – now, this guy's pretty impressive and he's got a pretty good support unit, but I wanna wanna hear your thoughts on Jalen Milrow and you know what what they're gonna try and do to this Michigan defense. Yeah, I think uh you know you hit a lot of it on the head. I think they're gonna be trying to be as balanced as they can and they're gonna use Milrow's athleticism definitely in the run game, you know, in the zone read game and some and definitely some design quarterback runs. Um, you know, the biggest thing that makes him scary is in the is in the drop back pass game. If no one's open and we're not in containing our rush lanes, he'll extend the play for another three or four seconds to get one of those stud receivers that you know to get open. And you know, that's been a lot of their 
big chunk plays is him extending plays or even just using his legs. Uh, so, you know, it's definitely going to be a challenge for our defensive line to do the best they can to contain him. Um, I think where he struggles, you know, to give Michigan a little bit of, you know, hope is I think he's kind of a one read type of dude. He struggles to get back to his next second or third look. So if we can do a great job of disguising and uh, make him think something's open and take it away, it'll get him to pat the ball a little bit and, and stay back there and hopefully allow our, you know, our defensive ends to close the pocket. Because I will say I think that's the weakest link of uh, Alabama's offense is their tackles. They're big, big dudes, but they're not uh, necessarily the most athletic tackles that they've had. So I think we have a speed advantage on them to get around the corner and, um, you know, get after them. But uh, if we, allow, like I said, allow Melrose to – he wants to chuck the ball. You allow Melrose to chuck the ball, he'll be a happy man. He's got a great arm. I think he's great inside the numbers, uh, down the hashes, but I think he struggles outside the numbers. Uh, he misses a lot of throws, especially on the run. Um, so it's, it's going to be how much can we disguise, like I said, and uh, get him off the spot. Um, it'll, be a, it'll be a big challenge. Yeah, in Alabama, you know, while they don't have the stud – you know, receivers they've sent to the NFL, you know, over the last decade, uh, last 10 years or so, um, you know, big names like Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, you know, you can name probably 10 others. Um, yeah, exactly. They still have some, you know, pretty, pretty good and effect, uh, a pretty effective group. Uh, Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton have both been a great duo uh, for Alabama. Uh, Bond leads the team in receptions with 44 catches and 620, uh, you know, 44 catches, uh, which uh, accumulates 621 yards and four touchdowns. Burton leads the team in yards and touchdowns, however, um, 35 catches for 777 yards and eight touchdowns. So definitely Burton's at big play threat, while Bond seems to be more of that safety blanket uh, for uh, Milrow. Um, you know, with with Burton averaging twenty two point two yards per catch, that's big chunk plays, and you know you don't want to give up twenty plus yard plays uh, very often if you can help it. Um, Michigan will also need to account for the big tight end Amari uh, Neblack, uh, only three hundred twenty one yards on the season, but four touchdowns, and he's a big body guy that kind of is that sneaky weapon that you know kind of shows up when you least expect it you know you think you have them pretty well covered and then all of a sudden the, the big tight ends making a play down in the red zone or you know on, on a third and you know five or six and you're like oh man you know just didn't just didn't get them you know identified in time or things like that so so Alabama team's got options in the passing game um and again you know we talked about the the balance here uh they have a pretty good running back in uh, Jace McClellan uh, he's been their lead running back this year, 803 yards uh, on the ground for six touchdowns, a healthy 4.8 yards per carry. Um, he contributes in the passing game a little bit too, 13 catches for 126 yards. So not huge and consistent, but you got to be aware that he can make a play in that that part of the, the offense. So it's not someone you can totally discount and, you know, leave kind of un, unidentified when Milro drops back and things like that. It's, it's something that can bite you if you're not, you know, keeping an eye on it. Uh, Roy Dell Williams also kind of con- contributes at running back. Uh, he's got 561 yards and five touchdowns on the ground with a 5.1 yards per carry. Um, so it's kind of a two back system, kind of like you see Michigan, you know, obviously Corm's our main guy, but Edwards is going to get, you know, his, you know, probably anywhere from eight to 12 carries a game. That's kind of, kind of what Williams does for Alabama. He's, Definitely not going to be, you know, 50-50 with McClellan, but he's going to get his opportunities, and uh, he's going to get the rock as well. So uh, between McClellan, uh, Williams, and then Milrow, you know, running the ball, you got three guys that run really well, and then you got also got two pretty good receivers. So, you know, you kind of mentioned it, you know, uh, with Michigan's defense, though. It's it, this... It might not be the best D-line Alabama's played this year because Texas has a damn good defensive line. But to me, the Michigan's secondary is definitely be the best secondary that these receivers and, you know, Milrow and offense in general is going to go up against. Your thoughts on that? No, I, I, I'm with you. I think we present a big challenge with our length at corner with Will Johnson and our speed, uh, you know, back end with uh, Paige and Moore and our rotational guys. And I think Mikey Sanders still is just that do-it-all uh, stud, they're gonna have to keep him, keep an eye out where he's at, where he's at. Um, so I, at the end of the day, though, you know, even with a good secondary, you can over only cover for so long. Um, so right. I think it's gonna be huge on our uh, front four, really our front seven, to get after him with some nice, you know, design blitzes. I won't be surprised if we see some corner blitzes, some off the edge stuff with Mikey, just some 
uh, a lot of twists and stunts. I think Graham and uh, Graham and uh, Grant are going to have to have massive, massive games pushing the pocket vertically uh, to not really allow Milrow to have that opportunity. Um, so it's going to be a full 11, 11 people defense to contain this offense, and I think it's doable. I really do, and I think Milrow will make a mistake at some point, whether you know he tries to get out of the pocket, fumbles the ball, or he tries to force something down the field, and we're able to make a play on it. So I, I think that's going to be the deciding factor uh, for our defense. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. believe in and I believe in Jesse Mentor. I think he's a great, great defensive mind. I think that you know I think he's going to have a great game plan in place, and I, I'm not really sold on uh, Tommy Reese being the offensive coordinator at Bama. I think he's predictable sometimes, so I think we're going to have uh, some you know good things to mess with him a little bit on the too. Coaching front. Yeah, uh, but I agree with kind of what you said earlier. This you know while it's on all eleven guys, obviously I think it's going to the D line is going to be what really um, you know determines kind of how the defense plays in terms of like you said you know we know Michigan can get after the passer, but can they play a gap sound? Can they stay in, you know, stay in their rushing lanes to contain Milrow so he's not making, you know, oh great, we had him covered for five seconds and you know did our job on the back end, but Milrow still had a twenty-eight yard gain because we didn't contain him or we let him get loose, right? I get it. Milrow's a Heisman type candidate. He's gonna make some plays with his feet, but consistently, can you prevent those kind of plays from happening consistently throughout the game. You know, if he gets one or two, that's, that's football. You know, guys are going to make plays. These are two playoff teams they are good. You're not going to shut each other down, but can the D line win more often than not? One, can they take advantage of an Alabama offensive line? Like I said, it's playing much better in the second half of the season, but you know, you know, I'm sure Michigan turned on that Texas tape and said outside of Texas talent on the D line, which I think Michigan's defensive line is comparable. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if it's better, but I think it's comparable what did Texas do so well that put Alabama in the shambles? And really, the last two years, you know, what did Texas do that kind of threw Alabama through a loop? Because, um, you know, even though Alabama won that game two years ago with Bryce Young, that was a dogfight for Alabama, and they barely escaped that one. So, you know, you can hopefully turn on that Texas tape, get a couple things, and, you know, what what did they do so successfully that, you know, gave Alabama issues? But like I said, at the same time, you know, if there's a weakness on this offense and a strength on this defense, it's going to have to happen in the trenches, and that's where that's where I expect Michigan to, uh, you know, play play a big role defensively in trying to slow down this Alabama attack. Totally with you, man. I mean, that's 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 our brand of football. Is we're big and nasty up front, so if we uh, can control the line of scrimmage and make Miller have to throw the ball a ton, um, I I like our chances. I agree. Uh, yeah. And then moving to the defensive side of the ball uh, for Alabama. Um, it's not, again, you know, we talk about it. This is a very good Alabama team, but it still doesn't feel like your traditional elite defensive, you know, Alabama team from all levels of the field. Right. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit, you know, that, uh, secondary for Alabama, I think is, you know, definitely on the elite side. They got two NFL caliber corners, their safety plays strong. They got some solid linebackers, but defensive line, it's good. But again, it's not your traditional Alabama defensive line from the dynasty of, you know, the last 10 years. Like these aren't guys that you just can't move at all. Um, Alabama gives up 333 yards per game. They're giving up 188, uh, almost 189 through the air, uh, giving up 124 and a half on the ground. Um, they allow about 18 point. Uh, you know, 18 and a half points per game on average and give up about 34% of third down conversions. Uh, So good numbers, not, oh my God, we're not going to beat Alabama numbers. Like Michigan has a chance. If they can execute offensively, they're going to have opportunities in this game. This isn't, this isn't a team that Michigan shouldn't, you know, they, their run game shouldn't be shut down by any means. It's going to be a battle. Um, But, you know, Michigan's offensive line, it's a good unit. They should be able to, you know, get some, get some push on the ground. Uh, pass protection is what I worry about a little bit. We've seen our right tackle specifically that position struggle a little bit uh, in pass protection. Um, that's going to be on Sharon Moore to provide some help, whether it's a chip from the tight end, obviously line up the running back on that side to help with pass protection. But Alabama's got three, three guys that can really get after the pass rusher and their three leading sacks, uh, uh, you know, sack players come from this. A uh, linebacker, uh, Dallas Turner, I believe he lines up in the Sam spot a lot. Uh, he's got eight and a half sacks on the season. 
Uh, linebacker Chris Broswell has eight. Uh, defensive end Justin Abogbe uh, has seven and a half. So you got, you know, three guys that are all within a sack of each other, uh, consistently getting pressure on the quarterback. And you know Alabama, obviously, especially with three weeks off or, you know, three weeks between games, they've identified what they think Michigan's weakness is. And, you know, we've all watched the games. Um, some of us have watched some film. You know, it's it's obvious that when Michigan, you know, drops back to pass, the right side is the side to attack when it comes to the pass rush. And, you know, it that I'm sure you agree, Jordan, that's an area that, that concerns me most offensively just, uh, you know, from first glance. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big test for uh, Trente Jones and uh, our, that right side of that line. So, you know, I think if we uh, continue to put ourselves in third and seven plus situations um, where they can really pin their ears back and come get us with some exotic blitzes or just their speed off the edge um, and disrupt our timing, um, it could it could be it could be a rough night on third down. Um, and I think we're gonna just like Bama who does a great job of being third and four, third and five. Uh, if we can do the same thing in our end so we can still have potentially the run game and take advantage of them being up the field or whatever it may be, it's gonna, that's going to be a crucial element of our game. And like you said earlier, I think, you know, with JJ, it's going to be a game where third and seven, you know, things break down. You're going to have to make some plays with your legs to get some first down. I really think that's going to be a massive part of this game. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see if JJ is able to not get too happy, you know, uh, uh, too quick, I guess, you know, um, you know, in getting out of the pocket, you know, he's been pretty good this year about hanging in, hanging in and, you know, trying to make those throws. And even when he rolls out, you know, we've even talked about sometimes he tries too hard to make the pass instead of just taking what the defense gives him in front of him with his feet. Um, but, and it'll be interesting to see what his internal clock is like in this game. Is he holding on too long? Is he getting too happy and running too quick and not letting things develop? It'll be interesting to see. But another part of this is not only, you know, do you worry a little bit about the pass rush, but you also worry about the receiver matchup against this Alabama secondary. We already talked about it. These are two NFL caliber corners. Cornerback uh, Teron Arnold, he leads the team with five interception, uh, uh, five interceptions. Kool Aid McKinstry is also an NFL caliber uh, corner on the other side. Um, you know, and let's be honest, we we know that Michigan's weakness on offense is going to be that you know receiver position. We know Roman Wilson's a playmaker. Um, but, you know, how does he match up with the best of the best, you know, in college football? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, you know, Roman Wilson's, you know, ceiling is in a sense. I, I don't think he's one of like the top 10 elite guys in the country. So I don't know how many battles he's going to win one-on-one with, Tyron, uh, you know, Taron Arnold or Kool-Aid McKinstry. I, I don't think one will follow Roman. I think it'll be more of, you know, what side they line up on. So that's going to be up to Strawn Moore and to not only – you know, scheme Roman Wilson open, but scheme guys like Cornelius Johnson open and, uh, you know, Loveland and, you know, Barner and things like that. And, you know, we talked about it, you know, safeties, Michigan's going to have to take advantage of two things, safe tight ends on safeties and running back on linebackers. We talked pre-show. If there's ever a game that we need, you know, um, Donovan Edwards to really contribute in the, in the passing game on this offense, this is the this is the game where we need Edwards to have you know seven or eight catches for seventy or eighty yards and hopefully a touchdown or something like that. Like, get the running backs involved. Corum too, he can catch out of the backfield. Get the tight ends involved. You know, uh, Alabama's got solid safety play, no doubt. Like strong safety, Caleb Williams, he leads the team in tackles. He's got ninety eight tackles on the year. That's thirty plus more than the next guy on the team. He's also got two interceptions and a forced fumble. So playmakers. But the nice thing about the Michigan tight ends. Loveland Barner, they're big body guys. They still create mismatches on some of these smaller defenders in the backfield. So Michigan can still work the ball to these guys. Don't be afraid to obviously attack these guys. You got to, you know, keep the Alabama offense honest uh, too. You know, I'm not saying don't throw at the Roman Wilson or these receivers, but this is a big Sharon Moore game. We need to see the creativity of him being able to scheme open some of these players get guys in, in green grass and open field and give JJ some easy throws. I know not, that's not possible every play, but they got to have some stuff dialed up to get, get some things going offensively. And like I said, you know, the help, you know, aid that pass rush, obviously having a successful run game that's working helps big time. But you know, if you can utilize some screens, to the running backs or some, you know, short Texas routes or out routes, or, you know, even draw plays and things like out of the gun, 
just something to help, like, you know, not let these Alabama guys pin their ears back and, like, okay, we're shooting right for J.J. McCarthy. And that's where quarterback running will help a little bit too, you know. Same thing goes for, uh, you know, what we said about the Michigan defense, you know, staying disciplined and, you know, containing in their rush lanes. Alabama has to do the same thing because J.J. is just as dangerous on the ground. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you know, you, you had a lot of points on the head. I think we're not we're not good enough as an offense, in my humble opinion, to – line up and just say we're better than you in the passing game with no motions or, or, you know, stuff to scheme people open. I think you know, we, we just don't have those, those dogs. I, I I love Johnson. I think he's a very good football player, but he's not elite. You know, Roman's a little guy. He's, he's quick, but he, you know, he doesn't have that, uh, you know, ability to, he, he's fast, but he's not, you know, that, that crazy of a speedster to blow by people. So we really got to do a great job of, uh, you know, creating, uh, whether that's you know off uh, you know there and back motions across the field motions just getting people out leveraged um i think you hit a big part too of just like we have to run the football and when we run the football successfully those safeties are going to want to get involved in the run game more and then that's when you start play action passing and getting people to you know be frozen just for a half second which allows more of a you know, ability to get open um because i really think chad i mean i don't know i'm curious to hear your opinion on it that and if i'm nick saban and he, they look at our they look at our tape. They're gonna say we're gonna try our best to get away with mono e mono on the outside. We're gonna load the box and stop the run. And if we have to adjust, we will. Um, and I, I think that if they understand who we are, and they're gonna many eight or nine hit those safeties downhill and just put their corners on an island and say beat us. Um, so if if we if we can't attack that, it could be a long night for us. No, I definitely agree. I mean, like you know for sure they're going to load the box. They're not going to let Blake Corn beat them between the tackles. Like I said pre-show, this is not a game where Michigan's going to be able to bully ball their way to a victory like they did so often this season. And again, you know, like Alabama, a lot of the Big Ten Conference opponents that Michigan played, like Alabama and the SEC, you know, not many of them have the talent, you know, comparable to Michigan. So, you know, a lot of weeks Michigan was able just to line up and say, we're going to hand Corm the ball 30 times and we're going to be fine. Not not prob not a likely outcome in this one, right? Like you want to run the ball, you're gonna want to, you know, run the ball successfully, but it's gotta be balanced. And you know, yes, if I'm Alabama, I'm loading the box. I'm not playing my safety super deep because Michigan hasn't not only have they not you know, Michigan hasn't really wanted to throw the deep ball, they haven't really shown a consistent ability to connect on the deep ball the few times they have this year. Um, but yeah, those receivers, like you said, they haven't shown ability to you know, let alone win a ton of one-on-one matchups, uh, you know, regardless, um, you know, in Big Ten play, let alone against, you know, the cornerbacks that Alabama's bringing to town uh, for this matchup. So I, I would definitely feel comfortable as the D.C. and, you know, Nick Saban is the head coach in a game plan that says, okay, you know, until they show us otherwise, we're living one-on-one on the outside against whatever receivers they trot out here. And they're going to have to show – one, they can run it on us on a loaded box and, you know, damage us that way. And two, they're going to pass the ball more than 10 yards downfield because, you know, you know, that's and that's where I bring up this around more creativity. We've seen it throughout the season that he can come up with creative stuff. And, you know, we've talked about it. Is it complacency? Is it we don't want to put too much on film? Because it just never felt consistent that we were doing things like that. And me and you were both fired up during that Big Ten championship game against Iowa. And again, was it a matter of, you know, once Michigan was up by whatever, 10 points, whatever it was, like they knew they were going to win. They didn't have to do much because they knew Iowa was not going to score on them. Or did they really struggle where, you know, they tried things and I they couldn't move the ball consistently on Iowa's defense? Like, and that's the concerning part. I don't want to, you know, that offense shows up that showed up in the Big Ten championship game. Michigan's going to get routed in this game. There's just no, no ifs or buts about it. Like, you know, we're going to have to score a little bit, obviously. Um, but it was just so blah in that final you know game against Iowa. Like, man, here's another five, 10 yard out or a little drag route. And again, there was a few plays that, you know, were creative. I know Cortland Sutton, Sutton Loveland had a drop on a, a nice post route on, off a of play action. I think it was, um, you know, that could have likely, but it was a big gain, if not a touchdown. Um, but you just need to see more of that. We need to see more, like I said, creativity in the in the play calling and design of these plays to help get some of these guys open. Because like you said, 
we know in the passing game, you know, we might have a quarterback that can do a lot of damage, but we don't necessarily have the the uh, the weapons outside to consistently win one-on-one battles. Like I don't have confidence sending Cornelius Johnson on a go route one-on-one and like winning that battle very often, right? Like I don't see him coming down with that ball very often against these Alabama corners. Yeah, I agree with you. And they're, you know, they're, they're long and lengthy. And so we're going to, I think for us, it's going to be the, the double move stuff that we're going to have to hit them on a couple. Of, I, I don't know if they're going to press the whole game that Bama does like to play some off man, but I do think we're going to have to do some out and ups, some hitches and goes, but really, you know, get to get those creative shots. It's almost like the, I, I kind of feel like it's Ohio state from last year, a little bit, Chad, where, you know, we're, we're going to need to get some double move posts, some, uh, out and ups from Colson Loveland, just some, but that all came off a successful run game, so it all starts there. But we're not going to be able to just drop back and pass and throw digs and curls and uh, all game because I think Bama's just going to squat at 12 yards and say, "Are you going to? Are you actually going to throw it deep or not?" Um, so it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting game for Sharon Moore and how Bama wants to attack us. We'll find out early on if uh, with with their game plan if they're going to be really kind of. Because I feel like Iowa's more umbrella coverage. You know, they, they, we, we threw For like sure. 15 hitches, it felt like. So they played off and made us throw underneath. I think Bama's going to say the opposite. So I think they're going to say, Frick, you're underneath. I don't think you can throw the ball deep because I don't think you have the dogs to go up and get it. And uh, and, and we're going to stop Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards, and, and say, beat me. Right. So. And, yeah, I know, I know like Ohio State two years ago, you know, they played some zero coverage and they got burned on it. I don't know if Alabama's going to go total zero very often. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, Michigan can take advantage of that when it happens. We'll see. Um, but I, like you said, I think it's the run game. You got to have some success. I'm not saying, you know, we need to average seven yards of carry or whatnot, but you need to have a healthy, healthy average early on so you can set up certain things, you know. A lot, some of the successful play calls that Michigan has had offensively and designs, you know, like when you get Cortland Love, Love, or, uh, yeah, Love running wide open down, down the sideline off a wheel route. It's it comes off a lot of those blocking motions and like okay, we just play action to counter and you know hey several guys yeah you know, a couple poles and you know a lot of movement around the line and then oh man the tight end slipped out this way and things like that like you gotta some of Michigan's best passing or play action plays or when they have so much going on at the line of scrimmage and movement that the defenders just lose who's who or who's where and you yeah, know, a guy pops open. That's what we really need to see from Michigan this one. And, again, it's not going to be easy because it's going to be tough to run the ball, you know, consistently on these guys most likely. But can you get enough? Can you average enough success on the ground to have those plays available to, like, okay – we need five or six plays that we're going to hit on like that to give ourselves a real chance to move the ball downfield, keep this team honest, and be able to do some of our more basic, you know, bread and butter plays uh, to then set up these kind of things. Because I don't want to see any Philly specials, or I don't, you know, I don't really need to see Donovan Edwards throwing a halfback pass either. If it works great, but we've kind of already used that this year, so it's on film. Um, I, you know, if you have to live and die by those kind of things, it's it's probably not a good recipe as we saw last year in the uh, you know matchup against TCU. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I do think having Blake in this uh, in the playoff will be a huge difference for us. Um, but uh, it, it, it we can't. I think Bama's too talented for four quarters to just run the ball forty times. I would love to say that we can, Chad. Maybe maybe we're both wrong. Maybe we, they show up and we could just ground a pound the whole game and get four or five yards and. Do what we got to do, but I do feel like this is going to be, have to be a very balanced approach, but only time will tell, man. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, there's one thing, and you got to kind of throw the stats out for this one, but, like, the – and this is this is where I kind of have faith that we can get it done this year, and, you know, it's, it's the adversity this team has gone through. And not only the adversity, but the fact that this is a very, you know, veteran group in a sense. Like, a lot of these guys have been around for now – what's going to be the third playoff matchup. Like guys were here against Georgia in 21. A good amount of these guys were obviously here last year against TCU. A lot of guys returned. Um, obviously I know like Blake Corm didn't play last year, but he was around. He's aware of like the lead up to all this and things like that. But like, you know, at some point this defines your legacy, right? Like, are you going to be the Michigan team that, yeah, cool. You went to the, you know, yeah, you won the big 10, you beat Ohio state three years in a row. You won the big 10 championship three years in a row. That's great. But are you going to be that team that went to the playoffs three years in a row just to lose in the first round? You know, you're a better seed every year. 
definitely got upset by TCU. I don't think anyone's going to hide from that. Yes, TCU played good on that day, but you know Michigan shot themselves in the foot a lot as well. Like Michigan was the reason they lost. To, Michigan was the reason Michigan lost to TCU um, overall. Are you going to be able to overcome that in the third year? Are you going to be able to you know say in that legacy? You know, you know I know Blake Corum, for example. Natty or bust, right? This is a natty or bust season. A lot of guys feel that way. But I feel like with the determination of this veteran group, a group that's been to the playoffs multiple times now, for God's sakes, they got to they gotta get it right this time with the three-week thing. Like, yeah, you had all this time off. It, it's just got to be better from a, from a game plan and execution perspective than it's been the last two trips to the playoffs. Um, but overall, and then the adversity this season, I'd argue no team in college football has been through more adversity than the University of Michigan this year. You lost Harbaugh. For the first three games for one NCAA, you know, you know, set of violations. And then you had this whole stallion scandal come out and you lost Harbaugh again for three games. And in in two of those three games were the biggest games of the season. These guys were still able to overcome it. They were still able to win, win convincingly and, you know, go through all this. And I think that only sharpens the iron or, you know, battle readies them for a game like this. And, you know, you can argue Alabama's been a team that's been through a lot of adversity too this year, you know, like we talked about the way it started and things like that to where they are now. They've obviously had to figure things out, overcome some hard, tough games and figure out a way to not only, you know, win some close games, but obviously get to where they are now, like I said. Um, but man, I just I don't think a team has been through what Michigan's been through. And honestly, I I they for the sake of their legacy at the University of Michigan and things like that, you know, again, do they want to be the team that got to the playoff three times to only leave empty-handed? Or are they going to finally be that team, that group that, you know, at least wins a playoff game, you know, and then gives themselves a chance at a national title? And that's that adversity and that just the veteran group that, you know, obviously is determined a lot of these guys came back to get to this point to obviously have more success than they had the two years prior that's where I think, you know, not stat related or what you see on the field. I think that's a big advantage for Michigan. And, you know, every team wants it. I'm not saying Michigan's the only team going into this game that obviously wants it. Alabama wants to be national champions. They obviously are going to want this game too and things like that. But just what this Michigan team has been through, um, how they've still been able to come together and win football games and not let the outside stuff, you know, impact their on-field results, I think that says a lot about what this team can do and what they're capable of uh, in these last, well, hopefully last two games of this year. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think experience is your greatest teacher, and we all know that this team is very, very senior-led. Uh, and, you know, we got a lot of dudes that, like you said, have been here for a while. This is their third crack at the playoff, and, it, you know, you, you learn what to do, what not to do. I also think it's the same for our coaching staff, you know, what to do, what not to do. And, you know, we, I've said it for a few weeks now, and I still stand by it that you know, good teams are uh, coach-led, but great teams are player-led. And I think uh, this 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 leadership has been outstanding. Like you said, not having Harbaugh for six weeks uh, in the season, and this team not to really bat an eye and just technically four uh, different head coaches. <laughs> right, technically four different head coaches, or four interim and, coaches on top of Harbaugh. Right, but yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like they, you know, like you know, just to quote quote our players, bet. You know, they just took it on and just. Uh, you know, to really embrace it and said, okay, give us, give us, give us more fire. Give us more reason to showcase why we're legit. And uh, they've, they've answered the bell every single time. And I think uh, what no better way to really sum up their, their season by going out there and uh, giving Bama a whooping. So I think that's, that's on their mindset. I think they, I think we are, you know, physically, uh, you know, around the same as them. I don't think this is a situation where 2021, where, you know, we looked at Georgia, Georgia the better football team, better football team. I think we're more equally, you know, equally capable on both sides from a strength standpoint. I think that's it. You know, I think and that kudos to, you know, Coach Herbert, our strength and conditioning coach. I think, you know, Michigan needs to back up a truck of money and just put it at his house. I think he's the best in the business for what he's done. And these are his guys. He, you know, these, this is a senior class. He's had three years to develop. And I think he's. I think he's, you know, very excited to showcase what they've been doing for the last three years and beat this, the, get, get over this SEC hump that, uh, you know, people are saying that Michigan can do. So it'll be, I'm, I'm very, very excited, nervous, but uh, what an opportunity. And I think these kids are going to embrace it. Yeah, listen, no matter what, that 
2021 Georgia team and even the 2022 team, but the 2021 Georgia team, in my opinion, is one of the best teams like in college football history. So like, you know, Michigan just unfortunately got an unlucky draw in a sense of like, that was a very tough Georgia team. And, you know, as fun as it was for Michigan that year, you know, obviously kind of the first year of tasting that kind of success, uh, it just felt like there was a, a lot of people predicted the impending death march that that playoff game was kind of going to be for the Wolverines. Um, obviously last year was a different story. And, you know, like I said, Michigan beat Michigan more than anything. Um, but yeah, let's, it's another year, a new year. And, uh, you know, like you said, a veteran group, a group that's been through a lot of adversity and hopefully they can put it all together and, and get a Rose bowl victory and a chance at a national championship that, you know, these guys have been seeking for two years. Let me tell you, it was it was cool seeing, you know, some of those leaders in 2021 obviously watch that ceremony for Georgia. And, you know, you saw like, OK, hey, they want to be back. They want to get another crack at this. You know, a little cliche when they did it again last year against TCU. But I don't want to see that a third year. You know, like, you yeah. know, I want to see them celebrating on the field that they're taking, you know, a Rose Bowl trophy home and a chance, you know, to go play for a national championship. I I don't need to see the. Oh man, I'm going to watch and get, you know, this is fueling me for next year. Like, no, because, you know, on top of saying they don't have a chance next year, this team is going to lose too much next year, you know, to be a most likely a national title contender. So, uh, to me, and we've talked about this, this is it, this is Michigan's last chance for a couple, most likely a couple of years to really be a true legitimate national title contender, one of the top teams in college football. So they, they, again, not many teams get three opportunities, three straight opportunities, and even the players on this roster, not many players in college football get three chances to, you know, win a playoff game and have a chance to get a national title. And, you know, hopefully the third time is the charm for these guys because this is a group that obviously is easy to root for, but you want, you know, you want to see that success. Like I said, it's kind of the legacy of, cool, you did what you need to do in the conference, but are you going to be that team that had success at a national level or you just went, you know, kind of for the first round ride? So. Totally agree. Well, January 1st, the new year, first day of the new year, uh, you know, game kicks off around 510 Eastern. Uh, so around, you know, probably 8, 830. What's, what's that final score looking like for you, buddy? Oh, Chad, I think uh, I, I think this is going to be more of a defensive battle than we realize. Uh, I think it's going to take about a half for both teams to kind of figure things out and get some explosive plays. Um, I think it's going to be a smaller score. Um, I'm going to go uh, Michigan 28, Bama 24. I agree with you. I think this is a race to 20. I think the first team that reaches that 20 or, you know, above 20 threshold on the scoreboard, I think is in prime position to win this game. Um, I, I agree low, lower scoring. And I really think the defenses are going to have early control. And I think you know, this game, the difference in this game could very well come down to a defensive play. Uh, not only, you know, a crucial turnover, but a crucial stop, you know, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, I know the Michigan Ohio State game ended up being a little bit more higher scoring than you know we expect a little bit, but like Will Johnson making that play early in the game to set up Michigan for an early touchdown, that was a big turning point in that game, despite it being what early second quarter, late first quarter, whatever it was. Um, but something like that, you know, whether it goes Alabama or Michigan's way, that's that's going to be a you know something I could see playing a big role uh, defensive play because both of those units are you know the strength of the teams in my opinion. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm going I'm going Michigan 23 23 to 17. Um, I do like I said I just I I know the world's kind of betting Alabama, I, and I know Michigan's the betting favorite. You know Michigan, you know fan base will kind of sway the odds in, in Vegas with how they bet and you know the the homers. But a lot of the national media, you kind of you know been watching kind of throughout the week a lot of people are picking Bama obviously that athletic article came out you know a lot of the big 10 coaches that played Michigan this year are picking Bama to win um but I just I have a feeling you know it's it's more of a gut than anything I think like I said with this the adversity the kids have been through this year and the the veteran group we have that have experience in the playoffs and you know a chance to get it right for the third time um I, I just I think they come out victorious and they at least give themselves a shot at a national championship so I'm with, I'm with you, man. It, it'll be exciting nonetheless. And, you know, again, hopefully at the end of the day, it's just, 
you know, obviously we want Michigan to win, but hopefully it's a it's a good game because really we haven't had that yet in the playoffs either. I know the Michigan, you know, kind of made a comeback last year against TCU, but you always felt it was kind of a long shot most of that game with the hole they put themselves in. And, you know, we talked about that Georgia game in 2021 was really never really much of a game. So uh, we'll see what happens. But let's uh, let's do a quick rundown of the other matchup, uh, Washington, Texas. Uh, kind of who do you like in that one? And, you know, in your opinion, uh, what what's kind of the difference of why you think, you know, one team will have success or win, win the game uh, over the other? Uh, I think it's, it's a great quarterback matchup between Ewers and Michael Penix. To Michael Penix, as far as the, the overall quarterback play goes, I think receiver talent, uh, receiver talent is pretty equal on both sides, but I think Washington's slightly better. I think the thing that's going to come down to is defense, and to me, Texas has a better defense than Washington. Um, and so I think uh, they're going to just get enough. I think this could be a, a shootout type of game, but I think Texas is going to get enough stops um, against Michael Penix to allow yours in that run game and that offensive line to uh, get after a little bit. But uh, I think it's going to be a great, great football game. Yeah, no, this is going to be a really good matchup. And I, I kind of agree with you. Texas definitely has the better defense. I think the key to watching this game is you know, we know Washington's not afraid to drop back 40 times and sling it with Penix. Will that, you know, Texas has one of the best rushing defenses in the country. I think they only allow like 80 yards a game on average. We talked about it. That defensive line is crazy good. Will, you know, opposite of kind of like how Michigan does it, will Washington be able to open up the run game with their downfield passing attack? Like, can they spread that defense out enough to open up holes in that run game when they want to? To me, that's going to be the difference. And I kind of agree with you. I think Texas defense, despite not having the best secondary play, I think they make just enough plays, and the off- Texas offense is balanced enough to make just enough plays on that Washington defense uh, that Texas gets the slight edge and most likely gets a victory. And I think, uh, you know, whether Michigan or Bama wins, you're going to have a blue, you know, if Texas wins, you're really going to have a uh, old-school type, you know, you know, blue blood type matchup in the in the national championship with uh, Texas against either Alabama or Michigan. That's a big time programs uh, back on the mainstream. Yeah, I would love for Washington to pull it out. Uh, I, I, I I think that'd be good, you know, just for college football and you know, Pac-12 kind of getting dissolved and kind of one last hurrah for them. Um, I think this is a, this is their best chance of doing it. I don't think they're going to reload like they have this year. Uh, it's hard to replace a Michael Penix and just that production. Uh, especially coming to a better conference in the Big Ten next year. Um, so uh, this is kind of their one shot. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, like like I said, I think Texas pulls this out, and I would love to see a Texas-Michigan uh, national championship game. I think that would be a, a really, really cool thing for college football. Yeah, it would be super fun to have Texas-Michigan. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. As much as it would be fun to see a Texas-Michigan matchup, I do, I do and I don't think Washington's a better matchup for us in a sense of – Michigan, I think, can definitely move the ball better on, like, a Washington team. Um, I do worry a little bit about, you know, Michigan hasn't seen an aerial attack like Washington presents, um, even though, you know, they have played Penix in the past. Um, Texas, I worry about Michigan just having zero ability to run the ball, and then that's just bad news for our offense in general, in my opinion. But I'll be just excited to make the national championship, so I really don't care who we play if we beat Alabama, but, you know. In a selfish world where everything can be perfect for us, it's an interesting debate. But yeah, you know, regardless, uh, I think we have two really good playoff matchups this year, um, and it, it's it's going to be exciting to watch both games, and it'll be a fun fun way to start kick off the new year uh, for sure. So, um, you know, it sounded like you put your national championship prediction out there for your uh, matchup. Uh, you're going Michigan Texas, correct? Yes, you are correct. Yep, yes. and I'm I'm going to guess the same thing. I think if uh, Michigan, Texas, it'll be a, uh, man, that'd be a fun, fun lead up to the national championship to uh, say the least. So uh, before we end the show, uh, I know we're just over an hour here. Uh, just a few, you know, things to bring up uh, har- uh, with Michigan stuff. Uh, you know, the Harbaugh contract was kind of publicly released um, and it's kind of flowing out there that Michigan has offered it to Harbaugh a uh, 10 year, tw- $125 million contract with a no NFL uh, clause in it for I think the first year or two of the contract, um, which obviously means they don't want Harbaugh searching for an NFL job. Um, you know, 
my two cents on that, it's good money. It's deserved money for Harbaugh. Um, and I think eventually he does accept it. But here's the thing, right? He doesn't have to sign it yet or accept that contract until after the NFL cycle, you know, kind of goes goes through. So I fully expect Jim Harbaugh to entertain NFL offers this year because Michigan will not pull that contract, you know, with him, you know, taking interviews or, you know, looking for jobs once the season's over. So um, I, I think eventually Harbaugh signs that contract, but the NFL clause I think was kind of just a silly thing to put in there because I don't think it really is impactful one way or the other and stopping him from looking for those jobs uh, this upcoming cycle. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's no rush for him to sign these contracts, sign that contract. I mean, there's only two legitimate jobs I, th- I, I could see him interviewing for in the NFL, and that's the Chargers and the Raiders. I don't think the Bears are realistic just because him and Warren, the president of the organization, don't get a former former vice uh, former president of the Big Ten don't get along very well. Um, so, I, I, though he played for the Bears, I understand it. I would be shocked if that ended up happening, but I won't take it off the table. Um, but yeah, I, and I, the Bears didn't have interest a couple of years ago either. Right, right. So I, I think those are the only two legitimate jobs: the Raiders and the Chargers. Um, I don't think he gets either one of those jobs personally. Um, so I do think he comes back and signs that contract. Um, you know, six-year-olds aren't the most attractive when it comes to the NFL at this point in time. It's more of a younger coach kind of situation, in my opinion. Um, but uh, and I think he signs it, and I, it goes to show too with a ten-year, hundred twenty contract either they're saying we don't give a crap about all these allegations and uh, whatnot uh uh we we stand by you or they basically saying you know ride or die or they think that there's not much going to come from it and they want to offer because you know they know it's not going to be as big of a deal as people say this so um either way i think we jim harbaugh is going to be here for a while and you know we'll we'll take next season with what it's going to be with uh reloading and whatever whatever final conclusions the ncaa uh, comes comes forth. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Michigan realizes while you know, Sharon Moore is a good in-house candidate. If Harbaugh were to leave, um, you had to offer Harbaugh the contract because at the end of the day, it's it's not really gonna get better than Harbaugh, right? Like, there's not a candidate out there that Michigan's gonna be like, yeah, that's an upgrade. Like Harbaugh is the ceiling for us. Um, you know, with how it's st- with how it currently stands and. You know that it it makes all the sense in the world to to offer him this contract. It's well deserved. He's obviously had that success the last three years, big time success, and uh, you know he he deserves to be the highest paid coach in the conference. So, um, the only other thing really that you know just to bring up because it's Michigan related, but the NCAA violations that Harbaugh broke uh, during COVID have officially been served to the University of Michigan. So they have like what sixty days to respond or whatever it is. We'll get more into that in our you know future episodes uh, coming up after the season. Obviously, right now the big thing is the Rose Bowl. Uh, we want to see how this game plays out and things like that. Um, and then hopefully next week we're doing an, uh, a rundown of a Michigan victory and a national championship preview. Um, but you know we'll we'll get to those violations and probably more violations at some point this offseason with the Connor Stanley and stuff. Um, and we'll have episodes discussing that. But just to bring it out there because it officially got served earlier this week. Uh, that's the only reason we're bringing it up. So, well, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Um, remember, you can follow us on Spotify or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts by searching the Victors Dash Michigan Podcast. You can also subscribe to Between the Whistles of Detroit on YouTube to catch our podcast as well as the rest of your Detroit sports needs. Uh, guys, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you, uh, obviously, all the support and things like that. And hopefully, on our next episode, we are breaking down a big victory in the Rose Bowl over the Crimson Tide, and we are on our way to hopefully a national title opportunity. So, you know, with with all our heart, go blue, and hopefully, like we said, year three, the third year's the charm. Yes, sir. Go blue.